Tonight's reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men, came, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, They left for their own country by another road. The word of the Lord. I like that the church has a season of epiphany. I like the word. I like the substance. I feel like I need, uh, I don't know, the jolt. Something shiny and sparkly, a surprise. I mean, it's like you go along and it feels like you're just endlessly driving the car. You start the engine, barely. You put it in reverse, turn the wheel, put it in first, drive, 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 put on the brake, get out of the car, lock the doors, and it's like life could just be a series of such banal, meaningless motions, one, two, three, over and over to infinity or death, I guess. Turn down the heat, go to bed, wake up, turn up the heat, make eggs, clean the pan, blah, 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 blah. But thank God or your brain for those flashes when you're like momentarily stunned by some sort of luminescent clarity. Or if not clarity, then some depth of muddy meaning, some flash of recognition, light truth that gives the whole routine substance somehow. I love epiphanies. We have a whole season here in the church of Epiphany. It seems like we need it in the dark and the cold to have our minds blown. 
Not just going along, getting up, making announcements over and over. Welcome to the House of Mercy. It's pledge drive time. Turn to page 16. Everybody knows what time it is, blah, blah, blah. Maybe we need to do something different. Search for epiphanies. Like, I don't know, find some shaman guide to lead us into the wild, someone to help open us up to visionary experiences of blinding luminescence, clarity, ecstasy, the heaven opening, its enfolding arms, an infinity spread out in a timeless, pure grace that dissolves all fear and all separation from the divine. Epiphany lasts for seven weeks. We could make it to Peru and drink a brew of psychedelic jungle plants in some primal ritual. We could die and be reborn, so those who have experienced it say, something to save us from the vapidity of our virtual lives, the incessant checking of the iPhones. I mean, don't you think we need some sort of oceanic expansion? Some dissolution of the false self, profound insight, some ecstatic childlike wonder. You know, epiphany. Instead of letting the season pass virtually unnoticed, maybe we could do something adventurous. Epiphany could be like the antidote to Christmas. With its Santa Claus and shopping and candy canes, Epiphany's character would be like the Dalai Lama. We could meditate. We could build sweat lodges. Maybe it wouldn't really be such a good idea to give out shrooms at communion. But don't you long to be altered somehow? It's dark for a hundred hours a day and it's 65 degrees below zero. Don't we need to be shaken by some profound mystery? The wise men are the perfect guys for this season. Perfect. The magi. They're like magic. Though the word in Matthew is often translated wise men or three kings, later in the New Testament the same word is translated sorcerers. Maybe it's not quite Dumbledore and Gandalf and Merlin, but imagine that if you like. The Magi. Magi are practitioners in the arts of the occult, like the mysteries of the sky, mysteries that extend beyond pure reason. People who might see a star in the sky and attribute enormous meaning to it and then follow it for hundreds and hundreds of miles. I think they probably did have long beards and wild hair. This is really kind of a crazy story here in the beginning of Matthew. And the Magi are only in Matthew. And of course, Matthew doesn't have a manger scene. And yet, year after year after year, they are, almost without fail, on the front lawn of the cathedral, at Bethlehem Baptist, in the living rooms of the most careful evangelicals, these Magi standing there, all stiff and innocent and respectful, as if they fit in, as if, they're always, as if they always have been there, as if they're supposed to be there, as if they're not flaming pagans. 
intruding upon the birth scene of a little Jewish family. I don't know what they're doing in our major scenes. I don't know how they get there, but I like it. It may seem a little blah, 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 because we've seen them so many times, but it's not. It's like someone slipping something psychedelic into the Christmas punch. An epiphany is something that changes your perspective, something where your habitual modes of seeing are transformed. It's really surprising that Matthew has these characters feature so prominently in the opening chapters of his gospel. These magicians, shamans, sorcerers, not Mary or Joseph, or anyone even remotely in the family, broadly defined, are the ones that speak the first human words in his gospel. Matthew doesn't give us shepherds. He doesn't give us the wrapping of the baby in swaddling clothes. He mentions that Jesus is born practically in passing, and then shoots right to this wizardly entourage sweeping into Jerusalem months later asking, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We may have thought that the wise men fit so easily, so non-disruptively among the sheep next to the shepherds in Christian homes, but really it's a little like having Wiccans or yogis, or Tibetan Buddhists, or rainforest mystic tribes, people, Mayan shamans at your manger scene. I love thinking of all these staid insiders, Lutheran bishops and careful evangelical moms, taking these wild outsiders out of their box each year and setting them right up next to the baby Jesus. You'd think that sparks might fly. So the astrologer, pagan, shaman, magician, priests come into Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And it actually is quite disrupting in Matthew's story. He says Herod is troubled, and he says that so was all of Jerusalem with him. Men from the east talking about stars in space forecasting a newborn king. So Herod, threatened by this new king, since he's the king, assembles all the chief priests and scribes to see if they might help him figure out what's going on. To see if there's anything at all in the Jewish scriptures that might mention this. And naturally, they don't find a lot of astrology, but they do find somewhere that it says that a Messiah will be born in Jerusalem, I mean in Bethlehem. And if you think about it a little, Matthew is setting up this fairly scandalous scenario in the opening chapters of his gospel. On the one hand, you have the political leaders of God's people, Herod the king, together with the religious leaders, with the holy scriptures, really everything that represents the established order, sort of the orthodox hierarchy. And then on the other hand, You have the foreign pagan outsiders with their astrological charts, crystal balls, tarot cards, whatever. The scripture-loving religious leaders end up conspiring against their Messiah to have him killed eventually. They don't recognize him. They never recognize him in the whole story. But 
The outsider pagan sorcerers who get their information from the stars recognize Christ from afar and come to worship him. Pow, man. Maybe not joyous clarity or transcendental bliss, but Matthew is conveying a profound insight, I think. I'm not sure if I'm capable of learning a lot about neuroscience at this point in my neurological demise. But I like reading about it. And you know, they can actually explain epiphanies biologically, even create them, so I read. Spike pineal activation, which may awaken latent synthetic pathways. See, generally after the more imaginative period of childhood, the pineal calcifies and diminishes. If you don't want to inject yourself with psychedelic substances, you could try a form of yogatronics. It involves a CD and headphones with input from subsonic frequencies that drives the brain harmlessly into the alpha or theta brainwave range. You may not become completely enlightened immediately, but hemispheric synchronization helps overcome a whole host of problems stemming from abnormal hemispheric asymmetries, asymmetrics. Communication between hemispheres correlates, correlates with flashes of insight, wisdom, and creativity. Personally, I don't think it makes it any less mysterious. But it does make it physical. Bodies and matter and subsonic frequencies, electrochemical stardust. We know, but we really don't know. But so Herod immediately starts political machinations. He tries to work the wise men. He pretends to share their desire to find the truth, this miracle. He tells them to please tell them when they, found, when they found the Messiah. But all along, he's really devising ways to defeat the Messiah, his imagined opponent. Like any good king, his mind is a finely tuned political machine. The wise men, on the other hand, seem pretty outside the machine. Pretty impervious to the political undercurrents. Matthew says, they hear the king and then they go their way. I imagine them as some sort of mystical tribal shamans forced to sit through some congressional subcommittee. They're impatient to get on their way, to continue their search for truth. They are unimpressed with the king and his reality. They hear the king and they go their way. Right on, may it be so. They get free of the machinations back on the open road, under this night sky, and then they see it, the star, has reached its final destination. It's been a long, arduous journey, but at last the moment has arrived. Matthew says that the star came to rest over the place where the child was. And then he says, the wise men saw it, and they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they fall down and worship the child with Mary, his mother. They open their treasures, they offer him gifts, and then they leave. 
we never hear about them again. What a strange story, really. These total outsiders dropped in the narrative, who, for all the wrong reasons it would seem, recognize, worship, gratefully acknowledge God incarnate, Christ the King. And you might think that after such a long, arduous journey and such a profound experience, they'd stay around for a while. And I don't know, like, make something of it. But they apparently don't even stay for dinner. They rejoice exceedingly with great joy, and then they're on their way. What is it that they saw that made them so happy? It seems like really kind of an ordinary thing. A mom and her son. A little boy with a body. An epiphany is a revelatory manifestation of the divine. Well, this is a surprise. As the church continues to say, though we're somehow not surprised, or even very often that happy about it. God incarnate, a human being, and one who dies and even suffers. It is certainly a strange sort of epiphany. I've been thinking about it for my whole life practically, and that's not actually an exaggeration. Jesus Christ, God become human. And still, I don't think I'm even close to being capable of parsing the mystery. I love that the Magi found him following a star. Not the right path, really, at all, according to the church that springs up around him. But maybe it's that God just radiates this generosity. A God without his believers' adornments. A God without his believers' rule books. God in the body and the blood. Maybe that is sort of a blinding luminescence, the enfolding arms of infinity spread out for us in pure grace that could dissolve all fear, all separation from the divine. But somehow, the delusions linger on. We don't hear the king and go our way. We keep hanging out in the king's reality. But maybe, maybe we are being altered. I don't know how or where it happens, maybe even in our chemistry, but we are being given a new way to see. And maybe it's God that's seen to the altering. And it's not necessary for us to take it into our hands, make something happen, go to Peru in search of some magic jungle brew. Maybe we can go on with our routine, trusting that God is in it, in us making us new, giving the whole routine substance somehow. I mean, it is almost too much what our faith asks us to believe. God in the body and the blood. Misty, mystery is hardly an adequate way of putting it. Could it be that participating in this meal does alter our minds and our lives, 
makes us recognize, if not always consciously, then somewhere in ourselves, a God who is undauntingly, eagerly, purely love. For us and all people, pagans, sorcerers, outsiders, miscreants. And could it be that all the threatened, frightened need is being eased out of us? And we are being given the freedom to love unguardedly? I don't know. But come and alter your mind. <laughs>